around our office um, at one way. Uh, we say Doug, Doug knows everybody in Ottawa. He does, doesn't he? Well, I'm running the bookstore for so many years. Uh, so whenever we need, well, who is so-and-so, we ask Doug, and he, he, maybe he asks Linda. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it is great to be here. I'm going to ask my wife, Terry, to come up here as well. And uh, we, we've actually visited here a few times. We, we sit in the crowd, so some of you have probably seen us uh, when we visited. We usually come with Jason and Yvonne Parks, and um, they, they, along with us, um, we're, we're on a new adventure in Ottawa in planting a new vineyard church. So we're like a sister, baby, baby sister. We haven't actually started uh, weekly services, but we're getting, getting towards that. So, so uh, we do really appreciate your prayers. We've been very grateful for Aaron and Anna's encouragement and prayers and visits. So, uh, so we're, we're on an adventure, and we, we kind of feel like your family. We've always felt that way when we visited. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll say something. Just an encouragement, a big, huge answer to prayer. Um, Doug and I, one of the things we do together um, is that we work with church planters in Ottawa. So we're now into, a, we've done three cohorts that take two years each. And um, during that process, I've been, along with Doug and some others, we've been the ones who've trained these new church planters and encouraged them and prayed with them, never planning ourselves to be church planters uh, because, you know, that's way back. Uh, we're both ordained pastors uh, and with a Baptist background, so that kind of tells you a little bit about, I'll say a bit more about that a little later on. But um, one of the things that, that we know is a challenge for any church plant, including yours, that's been going for over 10 years, is the day when you can get your own building, when you can save up enough money and and uh, begin to, you know, have... You don't need to do that. you got an amazing space, probably the best space in Carleton Place. Uh, but uh, most church planters are, you know, they're renting and they're looking at all kinds of options. And for us, with the, the new Ottawa Vineyard, uh, the, the, the thing that, that uh, astounds us in terms of God's favor is... We've actually been offered a building, uh, and we haven't even started meeting weekly. So um, in the fall, we're going to be meeting at Green Bank Community Church, and that congregation, as it's got older and dwindled, has asked us to come in and take over the place, and, and we've invited their congregation to join us as we, we get launched this fall. So that, that's a totally unfathomable, unimaginable gift from God, a big encouragement to us as we get started. It's, it's, it's a great, um, it's un unbelievable, really. And I just wanted to say that um, there is merit in renting a facility because you're here and then you go. And um, as excited as I am, I'm just going to share a vulnerable moment for me and Yvonne, because I, men don't seem to be too, they're just very chill, I guess. <laughs> but um, it's, it is a little scary because, you know, you look at uh, all the bills that have to be paid in the new building and all the things that you don't have to worry about because you're renting, which is great. So if you can remember to pray for us as we work out all the little details about, um, you know, janitorial services and who cuts the grass and who plows the snow, all these little things kind of 
just start to gnaw away. But I am really excited. But just remember to pray for Vineyard Ottawa as we transition into this um, new space and um, all the challenges and blessings that go with it. So we are very blessed. So And greetings from Vineyard Ottawa officially. Uh, from Jason and Vaughn and from our leadership team too, they bring their greetings. This is going to be a bit of a, uh, don't tell Aaron, but uh, it's going to be a bit of a team approach, at least at the beginning here. So um, I'm going to ask Terry to do my introduction to what I want to eventually open the scriptures from. But we, um, we are married now almost 33 years. And at our 30-year mark, we got to go on an amazing vacation. So tell us about that. Okay, yes, 33 years, wow. It seems like forever. <laughs> I'm building a monument to her in the backyard. Yeah, I says, what should we do to celebrate it? I go, a shrine in the backyard, no. Um, it's time flies when you're having fun. Uh, we saved up all our money um, and it wasn't a lot because we were on a shoestring budget, as many of you are in, in these economic times. Uh, my daughter and husband just came back. Oh, hey, nice to see you guys. Um, my daughter had just come back from her honeymoon and went to Paris. So she says, Mom, you should go to Paris. It's really romantic. It's really wonderful. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. So we thought, okay. So we saved up all our air miles. This is a funny story. There is a point. Uh, so we booked the flight and once we booked the flight, we realized we didn't have enough money to actually stay there. <laughs> it's always good to check ahead, right? But we just, we just got such a great deal on the flight. So um, we checked every bed bug, mouse infested place in Paris and just couldn't make it work. So I was lamenting to good friends of ours. I don't know if you know Nick and Janet Parker, wonderful people. And they said, oh, don't despair. We had a similar issue, and um, they said, we found it, and this is a good tip, they said, check out a monastery and stay in a monastery. They're usually very cheap. So I checked Paris, and there's two monasteries, but they were both booked. So we thought, oh, you know, and if you cancel on air miles, you'd lose everything. So I thought, what do I do? So we prayed, and I thought, oh, well, maybe we could go somewhere else. So we checked Rome, and Rome has like 70 monasteries there. And it's, a, and it's really good. So if you ever go to Italy, there's tons of monasteries, and they're very, very cheap. So uh, the Lord really blessed us. We were able to switch our flight, and we went to Rome. And we both love history, so it was really great. But the place we stayed at was called Doma Sessoriana. And it was one of the earliest monasteries that was formed. It was eventually taken over by Cistercian monast uh, monks. But it was built by Constantine, who was a ruler in Rome. And I think it was built in the 400s. 300s AD and the neat thing about it was he was a Roman emperor and um, his mother actually came to faith and became a Christian so he built for her this is where we were staying he built for her this chapel where she could um, pray to the Lord and not be persecuted and um, it was just it, it's still there and it's awesome and then they built this huge monastery around it and if you, um, I might not have all my facts correct, but Constantine had a visit from the Lord in a dream that told him he would win this significant battle. And he actually did. And in return, he built this huge cathedral 
just down the road from the monastery where we stayed in. It's called Giovanni di Laterano, um, John Lateran. And it actually became the Vatican before the Vatican became the Vatican. So it was the center of Christianity um, for a thousand years. And it was the first place where Christians could actually worship the Lord and not be killed or persecuted. So Rome is full of history. We went to this place and just felt the awesome history and freedom of these early, almost the joy that was resident in the building for these Christians who could go and worship. It was really, really significant. And um, then I think when Const he still worshipped his Roman gods, but I, I, at the end of his life on his deathbed, he actually converted to Christianity. So he's a fascinating guy if you ever read about Constantine. I think Richard's going to show some slides um, as a lead-in. Is that okay? So can I pray for you? Okay. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray for Richard, and I pray for what um, he's going to speak this morning. Lord, would you come and anoint him? Holy Spirit, give him the words to say. That, Lord, it just wouldn't be words, but people would resonate with, um, with truth. And I pray that you would touch them deep in their hearts. For every person who's here, Lord, I pray that they would leave having met you in some small way. That some truth would be planted in their spirit, in their soul. And whatever they're looking for, Lord, that you would come and bless them and give what they need this morning. So come and fill Richard. May your word of truth go forth. May it pierce our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Terry. All right, so the subway stop that we got off to find this monastery, pretty well right outside was this statue that you can see behind me. It's a statue of St. Francis of Assisi, big, huge, 30-foot monster sta statue, along with a couple of his, his monks. And it's, it's meant to portray the moment that he arrived um, and uh, was praising God for, for arriving in Rome. This, this uh, statue is just down the street from the monastery where we're staying, but it actually is right out front of that big cathedral church, St. John Lateran. And so if you, the next slide shows you the same statue, for, but from behind. And there's, there's the big St. John Lateran Church. We were actually there. Um, those tents out front are for St. Jean Baptiste, uh, which, uh, which uh, that church is, is dedicated to St. Jean Baptiste, so, uh, or St. Giovanni, if you're Italian. And so it was a, it was a, it was a neat time to be there. And um, they celebrate in, in Rome almost as well as the Quebecois do on uh, Saint-Jean-Baptiste at the, the end, of, end of June. But um, what, what I find ironic about this statue, and as if uh, Francis of Assisi would have actually been portrayed praising God for standing outside this cathedral, is actually he hated everything about what he, what he came, came across in Rome. If you know the story of St. Francis of Assisi, he was quite a reformer, brought up in a, in a wealthy family, born about 1181, so that's, you know, 900, well, 800 years ago. And um, he, he renounced all the riches of his family and uh, was called by God to rebuild the church. Initially, he thought that was the little broken-down chapel that he was worshiping in, but but everybody recognized that that was a bigger word that he was called to, to rebuild the church of Jesus Christ and uh, was quite a reformer. And so 
His father renounced him because he renounced all the riches of his family. His father actually threw him in prison because his father was a wealthy um, duke. And um, eventually, uh, we, St. Francis or Francis of Assisi gathered some others and formed the, the Little Brothers and uh, what we now know today as the Franciscans. Um, there was a cardinal that as their movement grew, and they could see that this was a movement that was really, in many ways, going to be helpful to renewing the church. Uh, there were certain cardinals who could see the value in that. So the, the cardinal arranged for Francis of Assisi to come with some of his brothers to visit the Pope. And uh, if you've read uh, G.K. Chesterton, he, he writes about this in an eloquent way. He said um, that uh, the Pope uh, wanted to show Francis around the inner vaults. And so he got to see, you know, beautiful paintings and treasures of beautiful diamonds and other precious stones and gold and silver. And uh, in, that, in showing them that the, the Pope said to him, I guess Peter, referring to himself, can no longer say silver and gold have I none. Francis quickly shot back and he said, but neither can Peter say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's a statement that comes from, and uh, I've got it on the screen there. Next slide. Uh, from Acts chapter 3. And I'd like you to turn there because I want to look at this story because uh, in many ways throughout Christian history, not just in... Uh, in the 12th and 13th century, but um, in the 21st century as well, we've often lost our way so that we no longer are in touch with the power of God. It might be the distraction of wealth, which I think living in a Western culture, we'd have to say is, is probably our biggest distraction and false God. But uh, throughout the centuries, somehow the church often loses its way and loses its, uh, its deepest need for supernatural power. What I'm going to be talking about today uh, is how to be naturally supernatural. Now, growing up as I did in a Baptist denomination, which had wonderful benefits to me, uh, um, I, I'm very thankful for a, for a father who was a Baptist pastor and a grandfather, and part of that tradition is strong evangelism and missions. I was born in Africa. My, my parents were missionaries. Um, but uh, also part of that tradition, besides um, having an anchor in the, in the word of God, was we believed that the, the solution to every problem was to go back to the Bible. And I'm very grateful for that because I, I still think that's true. Uh, but growing up, Baptist we also had kind of lost touch with the power of God, with the supernatural part of the Bible. We would read a story like the one I'm about to read to you, and we'd say, well, that, that worked in the first century for the early Christians, but that doesn't operate the same way today, and we could rationalize it away. Uh, my first introduction to a group called the Vineyard, of which you're, you're part of that tribe, was... Um, after we'd got married, Terry and I were actually, one of my, my favorite professors actually officiated at our wedding in our Baptist church in Burlington where we met. And um, 
couple of years later, one of his sons had um, been on a trip out west and got involved with a church in Langley called the Langley Vineyard. And uh, my professor, a friend who I looked up to, said to me as the youth pastor, when, he, when my son gets back, you've got to talk him out of all this nonsense he started believing in. Uh, and so I didn't even know what the vineyard was. This is, this is um, really the mid-80s. And um, the vineyard was a fairly new movement. So I started trying to find out. I tried to find out who this John Wimber was and, and the others that were the early leaders. And uh, the more I read, the more I actually liked what I was reading. These were, seemed to me, the, the only difference between us Baptists and them, and there was more than this, but it, my first impression was they actually think that the stuff in, in the book of Acts you can still do today. Is that possible? That, that what we read in the New Testament is actually normal? It's actually normative? And so that piqued my interest. I didn't manage to talk his son out of his crazy ideas. Um, I got talked into them by, by studying. I, it took me many more years of getting my theology. I, I'm a thinker, so I, I had to believe that the Bible actually taught this. So I started reading everything I could, and I, I eventually got to that place where theologically I believed it could be true, but it still wasn't true. It actually took uh, an encounter with the Lord and with, with more vineyard-type people for me to actually begin to see it actually works. So that was a journey. But when I read this story, and I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 3. If you've got your Bible or it's on your phone, you can open up the app. Um, Acts chapter 3 is right after the day of Pentecost. So this is, as, this is the first story of the application of what it meant to be a Christian in Jerusalem at the time. And so we read this. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, I think I got a picture of this. Next slide. Uh, just to illustrate somebody's artistic rendering of this. Uh, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this is like the first miracle after Pentecost. This is what, um, if you believe um, in the New Testament, you believe it's normal, this, this is kind of should be normal Christian life. Uh, it's being naturally supernatural. In the story, I want to read a little bit further. Uh, Peter and John have to explain themselves. And so here's the explanation. Verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them 
in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? He could have said in the 21st century, um, men of Ottawa or women of Ottawa or maybe Baptists in Ottawa. Uh, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if, as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And he doesn't, doesn't um, sugarcoat this. He looks what he says next. You handed him out over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him complete healing, as you can all see. So the, the big idea that jumps out at me, because I like to be practical, well, how does this actually work? I'm sure people in the first century were asking that as well, is, is how does this work? Peter doesn't make any any bones about it. It's not, it's not that we as uh, former fishermen have learned some, some secret or some magic to heal people. It's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that is the key to everything. And that, you could read through the rest of chapter 3 when, when they're brought before, uh, in chapter 4, when they're brought before the Sanhedrin and um, they're examined again about about. How did this happen? And uh, in, this, in, in answering the question, Peter eventually says, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary men, that's you and I, I think. Just natural people who are used to living on this planet somehow can move in the supernatural. And somehow it's supposed to be ordinary. So let's explore this a little bit further. I want to talk primarily about what it means to use the name of Jesus effectively. Because this is the way you and I are supposed to live our lives. And so, um, next slide. First thing, I'm going to say three things about uh, the name of Jesus. You could say much more because as I've read through the New Testament, I find, uh, for example, when Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, when you gather in the name of Jesus and the power of God is present. Interesting. Are we gathered in the name of Jesus today? Normal church when we gather in the name of Jesus, should mean the power of God is present to do whatever he wants to do. We are, we're in a supernatural environment here this morning. In fact, when two or three are gathered in his name, the presence of Jesus is with us, we're told. But the first thing I want to say, next, next uh, slide there, is that it is relational authority. We're not talking about something magic. I think, um, you know, growing up, I learned um, at my, my parents' knees 
when we prayed together, that you always finished a prayer by saying, in the name of Jesus. Probably anybody else learned that? It's a pretty important lesson. But, you know, it almost seemed like um, just something you tacked on. In some societies, it's seen as kind of a magic formula. And that was even true in the first century. When Paul planted a church in Ephesus, uh, one, of the, one of the things that happened while he was there was um, that God used him to, to do a lot of deliverances. A lot of demons were coming out of people. And, and Ephesus was a place that was full of occult worship, so we're not surprised by that. Um, there were, it says in the story in Acts chapter 19 that there were seven sons of a high priest, seven sons of a high priest named Sceva. And um, they watched, and I think they had a good heart and a good intention anyways. They, they thought, this is, this is important. This is good stuff. This is the power of God. So they were dealing with someone who was demon-possessed. They're good Jewish boys, seven of them, trying to do God's work. And they, they realized um, there's something about how Paul does this. So they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul serves, come out. Next thing that happened was the demon beat up all seven of them and kicked them out of the house naked and screaming. What were they lacking? Because when the demon challenged them, it said, the demon said, I know the name of Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Because the thing that was lacking was they didn't know Jesus, these seven sons of the high priest. They knew about him. They, they knew there was power in his name. But, but when we talk about praying in the name of Jesus or, or operating in the power of the name of Jesus, it is not a magical formula. It is absolutely tied to our personal relationship with the God of heaven. That's, that's how the power flows. It comes from above. It comes from, from outside of us. And so we have to have a relationship. We have to be plugged into that person because it's a person that we're calling on to act on our behalf when we call on the name of Jesus. So that's what these, these uh, leaders of the Sanhedrin saw. They said, they're just ordinary men, but what's the difference? We can tell they've been with Jesus I could probably, we could probably go home because that's, that's a really big idea. Uh, i got two more thoughts, but, but um, isn't it true? Like, the more, the more time we spend with Jesus, and that's possible, isn't it? I don't know if you're here this morning and this is a new idea to you that you could actually have a relationship with Jesus who lived on the earth 2,000 years ago. The fact is he rose again and he's still alive. And uh, he lives within us. And so... Uh, there is a person that we honor, we obey, we live for and follow, and it's him who's doing the work. That's what it means when we, we pray or ask for things to happen in Jesus' name. Second thing about that, that I, I think sometimes is not, um, is that working? There we go. Something that, that we need to recognize that goes along with this, this wonderful power and relationship with Jesus is we have to actually represent him well. And so when it says that they recognize that they'd been with Jesus, I think it wasn't just the power to heal. It was the boldness. It was the courage that they saw. There were, these were fearless men like Jesus had been, and they, they knew these were just ordinary fishermen before. So somehow Jesus' character had rubbed off on them. 
And I think that's what it means to be an ambassador. There's a, there's a wonderful book written by an ambassador. I don't know if any of you have read it. An ambassador to Canada. He's now retired and, and lives in the city. Um, and uh, he, he wrote a whole book. It's called Fire Begets Fire. But he wrote a whole book about what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. Because he understands. He was from Malaysia, which is a Muslim country. He became a Christian, I think in Brazil or, or Argentina, somewhere like that when he was an ambassador there. And he recognized, he, part of the teaching of the book is, is in an application of the Christian life is, is we, we actually don't have any right to give people our opinions about things. As an ambassador, you represent another government, another higher authority. And you, are, you have to be careful to represent them well, by, both by your character and by what you say. And so, by, by saying that we do things in Jesus' name, we need to recognize, are we reflecting Jesus' character by even the things we pray for? Uh, this this um, is not a blank check to just um, ask for anything and everything. In fact, one of the things about having a relationship with Jesus when we pray for people is we have to listen. I, I learned that from the vineyard in, uh, in, the, uh, in the 90s as I went to workshops and training. I, they would do this thing. Maybe you've already learned to do it in your small groups. But before praying for someone, you'd wait and you'd listen. You could tell people were kind of trying to sense, okay, God, what do you want to do here? It may not be the obvious thing. What is, is there something more to the situation? Sometimes you'd even ask the person a question before you'd pray for them. Because we're representing what God wants to do in this moment, not what I think needs to be done. And so we, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are actually trying to be like him in the moment. He, we're his ambassadors. Third thing, and uh, it, it's actually a very big idea. We, Terry and I, when we came to Ottawa 10 years ago, we came here because we were asked to be the associate directors at the National House of Prayer. That was a wonderful five-year journey into all things prayer. Wonder, it was an amazing time. We, we got to work with what I consider the cream of the crop of Christians in our nation because the intercessors, the prayer warriors, would come and spend a week with us. And we had teams every week for five years. We, we were meeting wonderful prayer warriors from all over the nation. Sometimes we get invited to go back to their city and, and to do some more teaching. But we would work with them, and we would, we would explore the scriptures when it came to prayer. And so we would... We would look at what Jesus taught about prayer and praying in his name. And, and uh, I don't know if you've, you want to flip over for just a second, but Jesus', Jesus primary teaching about praying in his name is right at, in the last week of his ministry with his disciples. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, the prayer in chapter 17, that's when Jesus really begins to help them understand what it's going to mean when the Holy Spirit comes and when they are now the ones who continue on the work because he's leaving. And several different times, I'm just going to give you a couple examples. John chapter 14, verse uh, 13, he says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Verse 14, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What a powerful promise. A little later on in chapter 15, he talks about being branches on the vine. And then he says, um, 
that uh, you did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, that fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. And then chapter 16, he, he's talking about some other things, and he comes back to this again. He says in 16, verse 23, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be over, overflowing. So that's what Jesus taught his disciples in that last week. So when they go on, you know, into the day of Pentecost, and they see this, this beggar who's been lame from birth, they're just doing what Jesus taught them to do. He'd actually trained them earlier on. He sent him out two by two as 12 and then two by two is 70 to learn how to heal the sick. And part of that was they were deputized. This is a key word uh, because I think there's a lot of kind of strong, a little bit overly strange teaching on the topic of where we get our authority. There's a, there's a um, teaching that, that makes it sound like somehow now as sons and daughters of the king, we inherently have authority in who we are. I actually don't think that the New Testament teaches that anywhere. What it teaches us, and Jesus said this when he, on the Great Commission, when he, when he was ascending into heaven, he said, all power in heaven on earth, do you know how to finish the sentence? Belongs to me, Jesus. Therefore go and baptize in my name and teach everything I've taught you. But it's, see, the authority we have is a deputized, like the, the sheriff in the Wild West putting a, putting a sheriff's star on your chest and saying, okay, you now are deputized. You're my deputy. My authority I'm transferring to you, but it's the authority of the sheriff that you've been deputized with. It's the law that's being enforced. And when, when we recognize so when we ask things in Jesus' name, Jesus kept saying, ask in my name. Don't ask in your name. Ask in my name. Why? Because he's the perfect son. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Ask in my name, and the Father will do anything you ask. One of, one of the ways to understand this is um, I said it's not, it's not a blank check. I've actually brought a blank check here this morning. And um, I could write out here $1 million and put your name in there and give it to you, and you could take it to the bank. And guess what? Let me, let me, um, let me lower the amount. I could put $1,000 on here and put your name on it, and you could take it to the bank. And guess what? They're not going to give you $1,000. Not because I don't have $1,000 in my bank account, but because I forgot to do something. I didn't sign my name. I didn't, I didn't authorize it in my name. And I think one of the things we need to recognize when we are at, we're calling on the bank of heaven is we don't sign our name. It might be made out to us. But it's Jesus' name that goes on the check. He's got to sign off on it. He's got to sign off on it. So if I ask God to make my life painless, 
no suffering, uh, pink Cadillac in my driveway tomorrow morning. Jesus has got to sign off on that. And you know what? I doubt he will. Because he knows suffering is actually helpful and pain is sometimes a good master to teach me important things. And maybe I just need a regular car in my driveway that'll get me from A to B. God is generous. He usually gives us more than we ask for. But the bottom line is, Jesus has got to sign off. We've got to know who Jesus is as a person. We need to represent him well, but we also need to pray the things he would pray for, what he would sign off on. That's why we ask him, what do you want to do in this situation? And when we have that, that deputized authority, we understand his power has been shared with us. Remember when the, the 70, maybe you remember the story in Luke chapter 10, when the 70 came back from casting out demons and healing the sick, they, they were full of joy. They said, even the demons leave or cast out in your name. They got it, in your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in all that power. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. It's not just about power. Supernatural is wonderful. I'm so grateful that um, on our journey that a Baptist boy who didn't believe that the miracles were possible today began to see miracles. I, I'd love to share some of them with you. I, one of them's written up in a book that um, it's actually my name's not even in the book. I'm just an anonymous person in this story. But uh, I can remember the first time I was really challenged. I was at a citywide meeting of worshipers in Toronto. It was our early days and hanging out with, with worshipers. And at the end of the service, I was asked to, to close in prayer. I was one of the pastors in the room. And because of that, this, this lady came up to me with tears in her eyes. And she said to me, uh, would you pray for my daughter? She's in a hospital. She's dying. They've given up on her. Um, and um, in fact, after I prayed with her, she said, would you consider coming to the sick kids hospital and praying with her? And I started looking around for the other guys in the room, the other pastors who had some experience with this, because I'd never prayed for somebody that was very sick, let alone dying. But it was one of those moments where the Lord said, okay, uh, it's time to actually start acting on what you think is true. And so I went to the hospital, and uh, I did not have a lot of faith, certainly had no faith in Richard Long's ability to pray for her. Thank God, when you pray for someone, it's not faith in yourself. It's faith in Jesus. And I, I prayed for this girl who was, who was about 16 at the time, and they'd, they'd seen her systems begin to shut down one after another, and she was on her deathbed. And I wasn't the only one who prayed for her, uh, but I remember praying and calling out in Jesus' name for him to do something for this girl. That girl is still alive today. She's a healthy adult. Uh, she, she was out of the hospital within a week. All her systems began coming back online. I was more astounded than anybody that God heals today. But from that point on, I began to be encouraged that it's not who I am, it's who Jesus is. And that we've been given the same power that Peter and John had on that day going into Jerusalem, that we can ask God for anything in Jesus' name, and he hears our prayers. And he will find a way to do what is best for that person in that moment. So, last slide. just want to encourage us 
that this does not require superhuman people. We have a superhuman God. What it means to be naturally supernatural is to be in love with Jesus, to walk with him, and him show us the next person in front of us or the next situation that just needs the supernatural touch of God. You can do this. Maybe you're already used to doing it. I want to, as we close our time together today, not just talk about it, but at least give Jesus the opportunity to do something here and now, right in this moment. I'm not going to make this complicated. I'm not going to have to have a, a long lineup at the end of the service or anything. I'm just going to ask you right now, key question, is there something in your life where you need the supernatural? Something only God can do. A miracle may be in your health. It might be for a family member that needs a healing. It might be a deliverance in someone that you know the only way they're going to get free is if God comes and delivers them from a bondage. It might be a financial challenge that there seems no human way to solve, but God is a supernatural provider. You can think of many ways, I'm sure, that you could use God to show up in your life today or in somebody close to you. And all I want you to do is I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front, but I'm just going to ask if you need a miracle, if you need something supernatural to happen in your family, in your world, just put up your hand for a minute. That probably means you've already identified this is the thing I need God to step in. Okay. So a lot of us, I got my hand up. This is life, isn't it? We need God. We need Jesus to show up. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me. I'm going to, in Jesus' name, and I hope you can agree with me, we're going to take those things to the Lord before we close, before we leave here. In fact, I'm going to ask you to just stand just as a way of participating. If you didn't put your hand up, you might have a friend sitting near you, and you, can all, you, you may not know what they put their hand up about, but you can agree with them in Jesus' name that God would move into their, their situation. So let's, let's turn our hearts to heaven. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus who died for our sins and rose again Lord of heaven and earth who sits at your right hand right now whose spirit is within us who you promised that when we gathered in his name you would be with us in the midst and the power of God is present we're thankful that you are an all wise God so even as we ask in a moment for you to do something in Jesus name we know that you will know the best way to apply our prayers to the situation. So increase our faith right now. We don't look at ourselves. We look at Jesus in all of his splendor and all of his glory. The infinite, all-powerful God. And Father, it's in Jesus' name Jesus of Nazareth.
Jesus the Messiah, Son of God, God the Son, King of the universe. In Jesus' name, Father, I would ask that you would release your power into each and every situation. Each one that put up their hand and names something even right now, I encourage you to just name the thing you need. Name it to the Lord. In Jesus' name, let the power of God, let the supernatural provision and answer come into each situation this morning. Father, we believe we're going to have great stories to tell about how you heard our prayer and answered even greater and abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your answers to our prayers. In Jesus' name. And now for my brothers and sisters, I pray that you would help them to walk in this authority, this deputized authority, this ambassadorial authority, this relational authority that comes in walking with Jesus the rest of this week. Lord, we want to be naturally supernatural. We want to bring the power of heaven to earth just in our daily lives, wherever you show us, you want to move in and change something for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his kingdom's sake. Amen. So may you go into another wonderful week. And uh, as Jesus lives within you by his spirit, as you have confidence before the Father, go and bring his glory, bring his kingdom, bring his power to bear here in Carlton Place in the region. God bless you. It's been great to be here.